0: Welcome back. Another edition of the Tom Talks Baseball Podcast. You can find us on kgncnewsnow.com, 1009 theeaglecom Also, Spotify, Apple, Google, iTunes, other places you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Tom Young. I'm David Lovejoy. How you doing, David? I can't complain. I can't complain. No, well, sir, uh, it's it's a crazy situation yeah. right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, there there is a virus going around the coronavirus uh, that's officially a pandemic mm-hmm. that has. Uh, shut down a number of things, whether it be travel internationally or large gatherings in big cities or, in this case, sporting events. Uh, The baseball season, they uh, canceled spring training. They postponed Mm -hmm. the start of the season uh, at least for two weeks. Uh, while the the world, quite frankly, tries to uh, minimize the, the spread of this virus. And so we're taking a little bit of a different approach today on the podcast. We're not going to be so much talking about baseball, but we're going to learn more about why all of this is happening, Mm -hmm. and is it warranted based on what we know about it? And so we got an expert with us today, a guy that knows a lot more about it than (laughs) David and I do. Uh, Dr. Robert Gross, uh, he is at Family Medicine Center down in Canyon, 911 23rd Street. Uh, Dr. Gross, thank you very much for taking time to join us on the podcast today. My pleasure. Well, before we get going, let's just uh, learn a, a bit more about you. Tell us about your background in medicine, Dr. Gross.
1: Well, I have. Uh, it's, it's it's a long one. I've been in practice in Canyon thirty seven, thirty eight years. Uh, ever since I finished up at Tech, uh, wound up a tour with three degrees from Texas Tech, and then I went back and got a degree in public health. From uh, Tulane School of Public Health as well. And I've been been here a long time and love my patients and been very fortunate to be part of this area and was smart enough to flee Dallas and go to tech and have not been back <laughs> since. There you go.
0: <laughs> so uh, I guess, first of all, before we, we ask anything else about uh, coronavirus or COVID-19, uh, Coronavirus 101, what is coronavirus?
1: All right. Coronavirus, they, they call it a coronavirus because of its appearance under electron microscopy, a little lipid or fatty part of of the virus looks like it has a crown on. has these little blips coming out. So they they put that name on it because of the look of a crown, which is corona. Now the coronavirus is what's called a COVID virus, which which means it comes from animals, and it develops when animals live in close proximity with humans such as China. And it isn't that they have a pomerane in the house or something like that. They live very close with the live animals, their livestock. They have the wet market. So it's a setup for developing these COVID viruses. And in the past, the, the SARS, the, the, uh, Severe adult respiratory syndrome was one that came from, uh, I believe, I'm trying to remember which one, mammals. Uh, the MERS, which is the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, came from dromedaries, camels. So anytime you have close, intense impact with animals, it's a setup for having these viruses that develop and can develop in, in animals and be transmitted to humans. And I think in this case, I believe it was something along the lines of a civet cat. And I have to admit, I've never heard of it. I think that's what the cat was uh this mammal until this had developed. So anyway, that's what it is. Now, the unknown about this, kind of the scary part, is that if you compare, and I'm going to try as we go to compare apples to apples, and, and there's a lot of apples to oranges going on in the comparisons that is bothering me, and that's giving me as much concern as anything else. In the past, what were called the SARS and the MERD that were COVID viruses were very virulent, meaning people could die from it very easily, but not very infectious. This looks like it's very infectious and we're still determining how virulent how what the what the mortality rate is. Mm-hmm. And so at first we heard it was three and a half, four percent, which is moderately huge compared to regular a regular Flu epidemic, which is less than 0.1 on the order of 0.01%. So that's why the, the initial panic, and, and I use the term panic rightfully, you know, oh my God, where did this come from? What's going on? How did it develop? But it looks like as more data comes out, they're saying, well, it's on the order of maybe one, one and a half, maybe a half percent. Well, that's still a lot. They also have, they being the, the authorities stating the information we have now is that most of this is in elderly people who are compromised. It rarely affects the young to any degree. And if you have to be not just older, but in ha- have comp- uh, compromised issues, health issues. Something like 76, 80 percent of people who get it never know they have it. They had a runny nose, cold, whatever felt okay, yet they had it. And following that, they have resistance to it. And remind me as we go through this this conversation, I'll talk about the difference in molecular testing and serologic testing for the virus. Mm -hmm. Uh, So anyway, most people who get it don't get really sick. Those who do get sick on the order of really sick, about 16%, most of them are compromised. Of that 16%, a much smaller fraction still do die. But again, I think the average age of the uh, patients who have died is on the order of age 80 or 81. That's by no means minimizing that. I'm closer to that that age, and I would like to admit my mother's still with us. I'm concerned about her. But these are moving targets, and and particularly, uh, I'm not sure when they talk about an elderly population in China, I'm not sure how comparable that is to an elderly population in this country. Now, I know we had a had a significant attack of the virus, in a in a nursing home in Washington. And that kind of enhanced these statistics. But I'm not sure of the vaccination schedules in China. Are there elderly uh, vaccinated for with Prevnar 13 for viruses? Are they well nourished? Uh, I saw another statistic that said if you have hypertension, you're at a higher risk. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean when you you, you wander around with a pressure of 180 over 120, which is significant hypertension, you're at a higher risk of dying from the the COVID? Or does that mean, like in this country, yes, I have hypertension, but I'm on two different blood pressure medicines. It's perfectly controlled. Does that increase your risk? Well, probably not. So these partial statistics, which I go back to, maybe comparing apples to oranges are making it difficult to get a handle on it. I'm not minimizing it, and, and uh, I'm not saying it's not significant. There are not going to be some issues, but we have been through things similar to this in the past. Uh, I can think back over the over the years in the not-too-distant past. I'm not comparing organisms to organisms, disease processes to disease processes. I'm comparing societal response to a scare. And you'll remember not too many years ago, MRSA infections in the skin, MRSA, methicillin-resistant staph It was, oh my God, we're all going to have these killer bacteria. Well, that's still there. One in 50 people in this country are a chronic carrier of MRSA. People still die from it, but we have treatments. It wasn't as overwhelming as we thought it was. It does cause death. It does compromise people, but it's part of our lives now. One in 50 carry it benignly in their nasal passages. In years past, hepatitis A, we were scared to death a long time ago when people had hepatitis A. Well, we developed a serologic test for hepatitis A, and we found out by our mid-40s that 85% around there, now this is an older stat, I haven't seen one recently, but 85% of Americans had had hepatitis A and didn't even know it, most of them. So the difference in molecular testing and serologic testing, molecular testing is what, what they're developing now or have developed what's going out to the different centers and going to be available through LabCorp and the clinics, is that you check the molecules in the nasal passages, in the oropharynx, and if you can get it, a sputum specimen, and you see if you are actively infected. Okay, that's one. Serologic testing you do with blood? You draw and you see if someone is already immune to it. So I, I, I can't help but think one or two or three things are going to happen over the next few weeks. We're going to find more cases because we now can test for it. And as serologic testings develop, we're going to find that even more people have had this and never knew they had it. Um, again, I'm not comparing hepatitis or MRSA to COVID nineteen, I'm talking about societal impacts of scares in the past, and, and uh, I guess to take this to put it in perspective of, of fears that that we have on a daily basis, awareness versus fear versus panic, and I'll even stretch my my uh, don't be afraid, be aware. I'll even say there are places and times to have a, a be afraid of something, or have an awareness of fear. I'm afraid of snakes. I don't (laughs) like snakes. (laughs) You and me both. (laughs) So so if if I see a snake, I'm aware that I don't like snakes. I'm afraid of snakes. I stay away from snakes, but I'm not going to run screaming down the street in panic (laughs) that there's a snake. Right. And I think that's what we don't need to do. We need to have a healthy fear, and I'll even stretch to what I I've said before, a healthy fear of getting this. Be aware of how you can be exposed. Be aware of what makes it what makes it worse. And let's take that awareness and kind of break it down. You know, be aware of your own hygiene. Keep your hands washed. Keep your hands away from your face. Be aware of the people around you who may or may not be acting sick. Get them to cover the face. Get away from them. If you are getting sick, be aware. Stay at home. Don't go to school concerts. You know that kind of thing, and and uh, have a healthy fear of getting this, but be aware of how you do it. Be aware of how you maintain your health, which is a huge part of this. Maintain your resistance. Our God-given resistance resistances in our bodies are amazing. They're not fail-safe, but they're remarkable. Heighten them, maintain them with vitamin C, good nutrition, rest, uh, uh, all those things, and I'll say it again, like your mom told you to do. Get a good night's sleep if you're getting sleep. If you're getting sick, don't get too tired. Stay well-rested. Stay well-hydrated. That makes all the difference in the world to keep viruses filtered out. If the mucous membranes of our lungs and our, and our no, nasal passages are well-hydrated, they work better. They capture the virus. And then vitamin C, great thing. Take, take the, the usual recommended dose for exposure to, to uh, illness. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm aware there's I have some fear of what's going on, a healthy fear. I'm nearly as afraid, if not more so, of our reactions. And, And I'm not sure nowadays, sad to say, there's no tolerance for for error. You can't say, well, we should have called off that game or it was okay to play that game. And uh I had the T V on yesterday morning at eleven twenty waiting for Tech to play Texas and they called the game yeah, on the court. Yeah. And uh that that disappointed me. I don't know if it's yeah. good judgment or bad. Right. And that's one of those things that, that twenty twenty hindsight is gonna is gonna tell us. Uh I would rather and we are in this environment required to overreact than underreact. But somewhere through all this morass I can't help but think we'll reach an equilibrium with a balance in, in healthy fear and the panickers and the reality and the progression of treatment, the progression of diagnosis, and life will go on.
2: Now, uh, Doctor, uh, the, the virus we, we know is the, the, the coronavirus. From our ag department here at KGNC, uh, there was a report that that particular virus was in animals here in this country, years before, I guess it became, as you said, COVID and, and passed to humans. Is that a, a true statement, that, that it's been in livestock and animals like that for years?
1: I don't doubt that at all, what... what doesn't happen that we don't live in close proximity with our livestock. That's we may feel difference. like we do sometimes. But we
2: when you walk out on your front porch early in the yeah. morning and the wind's blowing that direction. Yeah. <laughs>
1: seems, seems very yeah. close. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, the, of course, on Wednesday, the World Health Organization declared the uh, coronavirus outbreak a pandemic and uh, acknowledging that the virus will likely spread to all countries around the world. Now, the last time uh, the WHO declared a disease a pandemic was Oh nine uh, with h1 n one swine flu uh, now as I recall, I don't think we reacted as a world in terms of you know shutting down uh, large gatherings of people, sporting events, international travel and things like that. I don't think we did that on the kind of scale that we are doing it today and having the last couple of days here. Is there something different about the coronavirus that's uh, forcing these decisions to be made uh, that wasn't in swine flu, or is this just things that we've learned from the past that are making us react the way we are today?
1: Well, I I believe, and I was looking at those statistics yesterday, and I may be wrong, but either I think 20,000 people or more in this country died of swine flu before we even decided it was an emergency so, you know, probably nowadays, once again, that would be untenable to uh, to 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 have exist. I'm not aware of a lot. The only thing I think that is unknown, and I get back to the unknown, is how infectious it is. They've had trouble tracking this, and, and we started out in this country. Our scientists who are remarkable. Started out. Uh, with two strikes on them, by not being able to get to the source. And you can get so much information when you go to the source and you track it. They're algorithms. These guys, they're CSIs on steroids, on tracking viruses. That's what these the, our, our CDC and our virologists do. Moving forward, as
2: we see... The, the, the panic,
1: as we, we've we talked about before, yeah.
2: Doctor. Uh, you know, is that attributed, can we push that a little bit toward the 24-hour news cycle, that there's got to be something huge every minute of the day?
1: You know, I, I, that sure doesn't help it. I mean, I think there's there's very little I know. I don't have a doubt in the world that we won't get through this, that some people won't die, that some people will have it and not know it, and that we won't develop some technologies that— diagnose it and treat it better. I don't have a doubt in the world and that, that doesn't make for for 24-hour news cycle.
0: Well of course you know the, the last couple of days you know we got we got concerts being canceled you know postponing of seasons, canceling of, of seasons things like that and and the term I've heard is flattening the curve uh, saying that if we avoid these large gatherings of people, The spike in the amount of people that get it and potentially die from it won't be near as high. Uh, Do you believe that what we're doing right now, in terms of limiting the travel, like cities not having large gatherings of people take place, sporting events uh, canceling, is this a proper reaction based on all that you know about coronavirus? Uh,
1: Scientifically, technologically, statistically, it's a proper reaction. And it'll also limit the uh, spread of normal flu, dysentery, upper respiratory infections, and any of a number of things. So what 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 they're doing will limit the spread of anything that is infectious. So I, I'm I'm hedging a little bit. Is it appropriate scientifically to do this? Yes. Uh, if you want to limit infection, the unknown is. How bad is the infection? How many people get it that really get sick? And so I think with all that unknown, this is probably not a, a, a bad deal. I mean, it's frustrating, and it does verge on a, on a panic type, but it also is the most conservative thing you can do. And back, once again, to what I said in today's society, uh, we have to do the most conservative thing because it's unforgivable literally unforgivable Uh, nine years ago if someone from one of the basketball teams wound up with swine flu that would have been sad Uh, now if that happened it would be international news and it would freeze everything in place and put lawyers on all sides on alert
0: so earlier you were saying healthy fear Uh, you were talking about a healthy fear do you consider this a healthy fear then
1: all I can say is, if I had tickets to the tech game, I would have gone. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. not going to judge what anyone else's healthy fear is, mm-hmm. but again, if you look at the statistics, yeah, that will dampen down everything. But I can just tell you, if I had if I had tickets to the game, I'd have gone. I wouldn't have sat next to someone sneezing on me. I wouldn't have touched my hands <laughs> to my face, yeah. and you know, yeah. I would have would have enjoyed the game because yeah. I think Tech would have won.
2: I, I think <laughs> one of the biggest pandemics we've ever had in this country, Doctor, was the Spanish flu during World right. War One, and the numbers when you look at that, that was just off the charts. The number oh, of deaths. Oh yeah, there was and... a
1: significant percentage of death in the population.
2: Yeah. And, and a lot of that could be contributed to the technology. We didn't have the greatest technology. Now in your place and time in medicine, uh, do you think the medical community uh, is, is, can weather this? Can they, They're up for the task?
1: Oh, sure Now, a big part of the of the deaths with flu in back in in the night in nineteen eighteen I believe is yes, the year the, that there were there were very few antibiotics available. most deaths with the flu are due to secondary infection. Mm. Uh, your immunity suppressed, so you wound up getting an overwhelming pneumonia, dying from sepsis or dying from pneumonia, or an antibiotic would have treated that.
0: And, and you've talked about how, at this point, there, there's still some unknowns with it. We don't know how much it's going to spread. There's peop- There are people that maybe have it right now that don't even know they have it. Uh, how long does something like this usually last, or is that something that we can't even answer right now before it, it kind of calms down?
1: Yeah, I don't think we can answer it right now. I I think, obviously, they'll be watching every piece of data in the world. There were uh, initial stats that said, well, the incubation period could be 14 days. Then there was one flying through yesterday or the day before that said it could be 37 days. And, uh, I mean, you have to really, as we watch this, not you, but as we all watch it, You have to pick really trustworthy sites, not new sites, but I pull as much information as possible primarily from the CDC updates every day. And they're easily accessible, or you can go to our Care Express FMC website. There's a red logo at the bottom. Hit that, and the CDC updates pop up there. Uh, and, and I look at that every morning to see what's what's new. And uh, there's some new testing that's been approved that's going to be available soon. So that gives me a, a good picture every morning of what's going on. And I don't I don't delve into other websites or, or other news as much, except as, as kind of random information versus mm-hmm. just the facts. And the CDC is just the facts.
0: At what point, if I feel like I'm coming down with something, should I go get checked out?
1: Okay, as a statement I heard, and I think it made sense to me, is what would you have done six months ago? If you thought you were getting the flu, what would what would you have done? Well, you either would have stayed at home and rested, and taken vitamin C, and and and, and taken some Tylenol, cold and sinus, or whatever, and gotten over it. Or if you got sick enough, you would have gone to the physique, gone to the, your doctor. And I think that's the same thing. You know, if you if you feel bad enough to go to the doctor, call your doctor and let, let him know you're coming in. Say, I have flu-like symptoms. Now, there are three different ways of exposure, and this kind of complicates that a little bit. There are people who, let's say they were in China and they come back and they're sick. There are people who knew people and were around people who are in China who are sick. And then there's the community spread, which is really kind of uh, making this difficult to read, which is, used to say, How did this guy get it? He hadn't been to China, wasn't around anyone that he knew was from China, and he got it. Having said that, so the the last part is the one that we worry about that keeps everyone up a little bit more at night, is the community acquisition of this. So if you're sick two or three days, you have fever, aches and pains, cough, chill, maybe a little upset stomach, and you call, and you say, do I need to be seen, I'm going to say, how do you feel? if you say, well, I'm having a little trouble breathing, something's a little different, I'm going to say, come in. And so we're going to put you in a, we're going to immediately put you in a room, put a mask on you. We'll do some lab testing that we can do. We'll do a chest x-ray probably to check, make sure if you're trying to get a secondary pneumonia. We are still waiting for our initial kits on the the, uh, uh, coronavirus molecular testing. They are available uh, at different sites, but the clinics are still waiting for those. I believe some of the Hospitals in Amarillo have them. They would do that. And if you are not otherwise acutely ill, they'd send you home to self-isolate in Mm -hmm. all likelihood.
0: Well, Dr. Robert Gross, thank you very much uh, for joining us today on the Tom Talks Baseball Podcast. Uh, uh, Before we let you go, uh, talk a little bit about Family Medicine Center down there in Canyon at 911 23rd Street. And all the care expresses across the Amarillo
1: and Panhandle area. Oh, We we have a a wonderful clinic down here. we have been a contiguously operating clinic. We were the old medical dental clinic back in 81 or two when I came, but we have been a continuously operating clinic under a, a, a similar group of physicians for going on, I guess, 80 years now. And we have a wonderful, large group of physicians and extenders and staff. And we're fortunate to be part of a bigger network of FMC and FMC Care Expresses, and we we have a wonderful environment in which to work at all our clinics and, and Care Expresses, and very dynamic leadership, and and uh, we're just very fortunate to, to have the infrastructure around us. And I think most of the time the community realizes that that we are are equally blessed to have the Amarillo Canyon community supporting us.
0: Well, thank you very much again, Dr. Robert Gross, taking time out of your busy day to join us on the podcast. Teach uh, David and me a little bit yeah. about coronavirus. Yeah. Now we know a little bit more about what's going on here, and uh, and hopefully soon enough uh, things will calm down with it, and we'll get back to a living normal lives here. I think Dr. Gross has had the most... Uh Common
2: sense uh, advice for this. Do what your mother taught you. The sanitation, (laughs) wash your hands, uh, don't touch your face. And if you're feeling bad... Don't go out in exposure, and it, it's it. You know, don't leap to that conclusion. Don't go to panic mode. Go to a physician. Go to get some help and see. It could just be the flu, and you can take care of that in a normal course of action. It no need to go from zero to one thousand right now yeah. at this point.
0: <laughs> uh, Doctor Robert Gross, thanks again. Uh, if anything new comes up with this, we'd love to have you back on to uh, to learn a bit more about it. But thanks for joining us today on the Tom Talks Baseball podcast.
1: Thank you both. It's a pleasure.